Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim, and welcome to the Backstage Show. Thank you for joining us yet again this week, and uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Steve Niles. Uh, Steve is, of course, one of the founders of SNN Films, mm -hmm. and has also developed quite a bit of extensive stage experience in community theater, and that is the continuation of the topic we are talking about with him today. Community is... theater versus independent filmmaking. Correct. So we talked quite a bit about the experience with getting the actors together, getting the casting going, starting to set up to actually do filming, what the rehearsal differences is, is are between the two, or lack thereof, <laughs> right. uh, what the expectations are pretty much from the, the acting side. So maybe let's talk into some of the logistics mm -hmm. uh, associated with, okay, well, compared to doing a production in a theater, you pretty much have your captive venue to work with, and we kind of alluded to how you can control that, control the environment of that, maybe and a little bit better. Also your captive audience, for that matter. <laughs> That's right. Assuming they There's show differences up. differences there, yeah. <laughs> but in the film world, you're going to have to scout locations. Yeah, so that is the ever-present challenge. Um, sometimes you write entire stories because you have access to a particular mm. location. Right. I take it you probably haven't necessarily had like a studio space or equivalent that you've been able to just kind of hold for a certain period of time to be able to do the shoot. We have worked in the past years with a company called Chapman Productions. They have a studio space up in Allentown, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, we've been able to use their space uh, they've built some elaborate um science fiction okay. style mm -hmm. you know spaceship corridors and, and uh -huh. things like that uh so we were very very lucky to be able to utilize some of that facility uh, for a couple films okay i think that is some of the only times we've used you know actually you know built sets in a studio space usually it's you know found locations um i know we have built sets in Kevin's basement, uh, Kevin Spots, uh, my, my uh, filmmaking partner. partner yep. um, in his basement, we, we built a little uh, shuttlecraft down there. and we <laughs> Sorry, built... Mom, you can't do laundry right now. We're filming. <laughs> and we uh, used some of uh, the same material to build a biplane uh, against a green screen. So we had some people flying around yep, a biplane. I remember that one. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen a number of Steve's films at yep. this point. Yep. So, yeah. so I can recall some of these sets. Yeah, so, so th there is some building but usually it's you know dressing a, a, a an established location the way we need it uh, we used um, a public storage space and dressed it like a prison cell at, at one time uh, had the you know had the uh, stone block walls and we just you know, had to put some bars up and and some foam blocks for for extra walls and uh, you know dressed it that way so you you do a lot of improvisation and you know so spaces aren't always the space it is, you, you dress it up to be something else, but right. you know, it's, yeah, it's not the same as building, you know, you don't have flats that you're just constantly recycling right, uh, like you do right. on the stage. Yeah. I guess the, the construction element's a little bit different. It's different techniques involved mm -hmm. probably because depending on how many scenes that particular set is needed for, maybe it's something because if you're on a tight budget, I'd imagine it's something you probably want to be able to put up and tear down very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Usually our budgets are in the, um, 
twenty dollar range. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little bit different. Yeah. I think they call this the no budget tier yeah, production. Yeah, pretty pretty much. So so yeah. So you're usually using this space almost as is, bringing in you know a few pieces of set dressing and, okay. you know, as necessary. And this might be something that you only need for one day. Yeah, pretty so, much. Yeah, it I doesn't mean, have to really stand up very sturdily. It just has right. to look good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We did a um, pastiche of the old you know '30s Flash Gordon serials. So we built a three-wall rocket ship set that we then hung uh, sheets and curtains over to become the uh, the Evil Queen's throne room. So huh. it's basically the same space, just redressed with, right. with different props. Set redressing. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now, we touched a little bit upon lighting in the last episode, but what kind of lighting is involved with... Um well, the filming process. Unfortunately, you're asking the wrong person on the technical front. That that would be Kevin's forte. He could go on for hours about the different light bulbs. Right, and, right. You know, lighting for day, lighting for night, uh, fluorescence versus what have you. But uh, that's outside my realm of okay. expertise. But these are the, the technologies capable of being utilized in different ways to get that effect. Yeah, it's it's a science. Obviously, you know, you don't you don't just shine one light on a person and you're good to go you need key lights you need backlights you need you need to adjust you use a certain bulb for a certain you know tone a certain warmer versus cooler yeah uh if it's supposed to you know have a kind of that bluish hue to evoke you know nighttime yeah uh versus day for night day for night versus you know a warmer yellower uh color so there's a lot that goes into it. it's it's a science and and if if the lighting's bad, you can tell, and if it's if the person knows what they're doing, it raises your production value enormously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's akin a lot to photography, which mm-hmm. has oh, become yeah. sort of a burgeoning interest of mine recently. Mm-hmm. As far as the technicality with different angles of lighting, right? Uh, I mean, I which think it pretty much is photography. It's just moving photography. Yeah, yeah. But I guess there are certainly different. Well, oh sure, I considerations. Mean, it's not, it's not no, it is very but... absolutely very similar. Mm-hmm. I guess with stage lighting, you have some flexibility, some sort of creativity capabilities. You're mostly, though, traditionally, you're mostly dealing with the incandescent Fresnel lighting. lighting. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of theaters have tried to now transition that into an LED system. Mm-hmm. A lot more expensive. Yeah. But, I mean, even just angle-wise with the lights, a lot of the time with uh, some of the community theaters, you're dealing solely with front lighting. If you're lucky, you might get some overhead lighting. Yeah, it, there but, might be, but there's it's pretty minimal. Whereas there's a lot more flexibility with mm-hmm. with film. You can, you know, you mentioned backlighting and the key lighting and all of that kind of thing. Right. Whereas I guess you just don't really have that flexibility with theater. I think it's a little simpler. Yeah, I mean, you can do really cool things like you know get that effect you know in a close up of uh, you know looking through the blinds from an old film noir you know where the just mm-hmm. a band of light yeah, highlights yeah. someone's eyes something like that you can do some of those artistic effects that it would be hard to pull off on stage yeah it's a little more limiting yeah i'm probably the most i've in my productions the most i've really been able to play around with lighting a bit to sort of get an effect would be if we put some lamps say off backstage that's the light from which would be visible outside of a window right. just to get mm-hmm. day or night kind Doesn't of. Sure. I mean, sure. you'll use like gobos and things like that on stage where if you want to get that certain shadow effects on there, leaves. I mean, I don't think you'd be doing like that film noir of slats because yeah. you just, you wouldn't be able to, to position people yeah, yeah, for it, every, every conceivable angle from the exactly. Right. Also be really hard to make all the actors appear just in black and white. It would be, be a lot tough, of makeup. But I've, I've heard of that being attempted. Yeah, we pretty much did attempt that when uh, a City of Angels. There was because there's 
if I'm recalling the show correctly, I was in it, you'd think I'd remember it better. But I think there were like some flashback things that were supposed to be like in black and white and then some modern things in color. And I think they did it a lot with costuming and that sort of thing mm -hmm. where everybody's dressed in black and white. It's easier with costume. I meant well, like yes. the actors themselves. Well, obviously, you're not going to, you know, put everybody in white face. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> Shades of gray. Yeah. yeah, that wouldn't really. You have a lot of, I think, a lot more creative freedom mm -hmm. in the film world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We can play with, you know, night lighting on stage with the overhead blue lighting mm -hmm. or the, the blue gels, different colored gels and that kind of thing. Right. you got spotlights mm -hmm. if you're really trying to focus in on a certain right. area of lighting. But it's just, it's painting it with a much broader brush, Yeah, I think. And not to take us on a, another tangent, but outside of lighting, you have sound. Yeah. And um, what you can do to score a scene in film that would be really hard to do, and I don't see it often on stage having incidental music driving the emotion of a scene uh mm -hmm. that's something that can raise the level of the production enormously sure really yeah good incidental music it's kind of a common expectation i guess of films that there will be some element of that right for the production value certainly not expected in film yeah or excuse me, in, in stage, yeah. <laughs> on that, stage. But that didn't that. stop us. No, it didn't. We did do that when when I directed Dracula and Jim did the sound design. We oh, really? had incidental music in, in the background and we, we mm. pretty much scored the production. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. It wasn't original scoring, though. No, no, no. But, but still, yeah, you don't see that often. Yeah. No, you don't. Well, there were people commented on that, that, it would, that the production was cinematic. Mm-hmm. They commented on that with Frankenstein as well. Did we have the background music? Yeah, it was still we did then. at times. Yes, yes. Yeah. Again, not original, but yeah. um, it's got to be hard to time. It's... Yes, <laughs> it is. Um, Certain things we had to try. I, I mean, I remember moments in Dracula that we wanted to like, you know, have a movement coincide with a particular mm. thrust in the music. Right. But I, sometimes it hit perfectly in a in a show. Sometimes yeah. it didn't. But I mean, you know, whereas with film, you can do it over and you only use the take where everything. Or you could edit yeah, the music. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you're editing the music, you're kind of putting that in post. Scene, yeah. I mean, in theory, if you were having the music in the background, which you wouldn't in film, because why would you? Mm -hmm. You can use only the take that worked, whereas on stage, where music's live, the people yeah. are live, and sometimes yeah. it lined up and sometimes it didn't. It's yeah. more choreographical. Yes, if, yeah, if we, had a choreographic, <laughs> we had to choreograph it to the music, whereas yeah. in film, you're adding the music in later right. and winding up the shot with that. I mean, then that starts to get into editing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's probably a good place to go next. Well, maybe before we get to that point, I guess one other advantage you have with film is that you did mention in last week's episode, you mentioned that in your early productions, you had to shoot in sequence. Yeah. But now you don't have to follow that at all. You can do whatever you want. That's right, which, you know... Or whatever uh, is practical. Right, exactly. So you, you know, say an actor can't get to set till two o'clock but you're starting your day at 11 you you act you shoot some scenes with who's there even if the individuals are supposed to be in the same scene you can shoot all of one side of the conversation send those people home the other person shows up and you know you shoot their side of it i've literally had films where people have shared scenes and never met until the cast party. exactly yeah <laughs> it's it's amazing you can't really get away with that in community no, theater, no, but no, you can no, totally you get away with it mm -hmm, in film mm -hmm. which is really cool now i guess i'm not sure in general, what your experience has been with going through a rehearsal process, if it's been more linear compared to the shooting process. I know for, for shows I've directed, I haven't necessarily followed a linear rehearsal process. Mm. I will try to, I kind of have adopted sort of a film scheduling mindset to it in that 
for rehearsing certain scenes, I try to group them based on having the same people there. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, I'm ADing my first stage show, so I don't have a lot of experience there. I know for the the show I'm ADing for in August, uh, I'm setting it up that we're doing you know Act One, Scene One, next day Act One, Scene Two, Act Two, Scene One, and so on, and just trying to do it in that sequence, but you know, keeping it just, we'll do a scene, we'll, we'll block it the next day, we'll run it, and then block the next scene, okay. run the next mm-hmm. scene. Until I start directing some more shows, I don't know how that might change and adapt, but I'm sure it, it depends on the show you're doing and, you know, where actors fall yeah. within Yeah, within I, I think it varies show to show and even director to director. Some mm-hmm. directors like, like Jim have a preference of trying to group them by who's going to be in them. I do that as well, just... Because if you've got you know one actor that's in a few scenes, you want you don't want them to have to be there if they don't have to be there. Oh, you, got, you want to be respectful of people's time. I mean, sure. we're, yeah. we're all volunteers. We're all doing this for the mm-hmm. love of it. But people have other things going on, so you gotta you have to respect their time. And you know when you have someone on set or you know in the theater, you know make sure they're busy. Don't have people sitting around. That's my philosophy. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Yeah. But in film, I think it's even more paramount because of trying to get things done and yeah. focusing on, you know not having people idling around because yeah. you really can't afford it. Right, right. Um, you know, obviously, you know, time is money, so to speak. You don't want to be wasting people's time. You don't want to be taking advantage of, of people's time. Lighting, like I said, is the big time burden uh, on a shoot. So there are times where it's, you know, hurry up and wait for the, the scene to be set up to shoot. So kind you try of like to, a tech cue to get yeah, It seems yeah. like every, every that, filming moment is kind of a tech rehearsal in I, a way. Every single one, yeah. yeah. So it, yeah, and that's a good way to put it. Film, filmmaking is like an endless tech day. <laughs> it's, so now, there's that a sound, quote for you. That now. sounds like a nightmare. Well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, uh, we did have an episode talking about Tech Week is Hell Week. Yeah, yeah, and yep. that plays into that analogy. And that's why we try to keep it fun on set. You know, when you're not shooting, we, you know, try to have fun and, and have a good time because, you know, we're, we're just like-minded people sharing a passion, just having, uh, it's, it's, it's a chance to have an adventure you wouldn't have in, in normal life. Yeah. You, know, you can fly a spaceship for a day or, yeah. you know, fight an ogre for a day, whatever, whatever you're doing. <laughs> so as you mentioned a little bit in last week's episode, sometimes best laid plans can change over the course of time. So how often, I guess, have you run into situations where maybe you get to the end of a planned production period, but then realize I got to reshoot something or even I have to rewrite something? It happens often. Yeah. I don't think we've had many, knock on wood, uh, occasions where we've, you know, had such a huge sna- technical snafu that we've had to completely redo a day's work. Uh, that would be awful. You mean, so you didn't necessarily have a situation where you did a whole scene and it worked out beautifully, but the camera wasn't running. You forgot uh, to press record. <laughs> I won't say it's never happened, but... Uh, I'm just relating this to, yeah. oh, I don't know, maybe personal experience I may have had at some point. Understood. Theoretically. Understood. Well, let me just say then, yeah, it's happened to everybody. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but no, uh, reshoots are inevitable. Uh, maybe, you know, you look back at the footage and it could even be where you just completely missed a shot that is critical to making the scene make sense. And you got to, got to go back and you either find a way to improvise around it, or you just got to bring the person back and, and redo it. So, so it, 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 it definitely happens. A plan for the unplanned. That's right. Now, another element, this is a huge contrast between film and theater in that 
in theater, once the rehearsals are done, once the performance goes on and is performed, that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. That is completely not the case in film because of all the post-production and editing that oh, still has to happen. That's, I mean, if you want to use the iceberg analogy, shooting the film is the tip of the iceberg. Right. It, the, the enormous chunk of ice is all the hours and hours spent in post-production, especially if it's an effects-heavy film. I mean, mm-hmm. It could be months of work putting in the you know little CGI characters or the laser effects or whatever, <laughs> and um, and then that also includes you know. We, we do original scores. Kevin, in addition to being a brilliant uh, a DP and, and editor, is also an incredible musician, and he plays instruments and uses you know digital music software and scores all of our films. It's all original music. So, um, yeah, it's it's an enormous amount of time. Yeah, that, there's so much goes into just editing. I mean, you, you get to play around with the editing a lot. You have to a number of yeah. decisions you have to make. Which is a lot of fun. And also a lot of work. And uh, sometimes, if there's a lot of takes, it's a lot to, <laughs> lot, lot to sort through. And and there's some tough choices sometimes, too, because just minor variations on phrasing or sure. intonation can change the meaning of a scene. And so, you know, you really got to... I, I didn't come up with this, but, you know, you write the movie, like, three or four times. You write it on the page, you write it in the shoot, and then you write it in the editing. Yeah. Because editing can change... Uh, mm-hmm. meanings of scenes entirely and the pacing and pacing all yeah. that stuff mm-hmm. and you could easily spend hours on something that happened for 30 seconds in the finished edit that's right i mean you can kind of see that uh youtube there's all these recut trailers mm-hmm. and you can see yeah. it oh yeah that completely changes the those. meaning of the yeah. movie yeah it's amazing it's it's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating how much editing really can make a difference Absolutely. Or something mm-hmm. i like the one shining <laughs> yes <laughs> where they turn uh, the shining into uh, like a lighthearted comedy lighthearted yeah. family comedy they turned uh, mary poppins into a horror movie mm-hmm. yes that yes a good one too. right yeah. yeah i love this but yeah that's a huge element that is completely missing from theater because mm-hmm. once that's up, all it's immediate up. it's in the moment you you get what you see on stage yeah. the audience is seeing it happen in real time and that's it. The The pacing and the editing is all up to the actors at that point. You have no control over it yeah. as a filmmaker. The, what, the, but the other, other side of that is because you get to do the performance, you know, not only just over and over again in rehearsal, you know, you might have eight, ten shows. There hasn't been a show I've been in that hasn't changed incrementally Tweet. over the course of the show's run just We've, because you get, you know, you're getting more comfortable with the language. Right, or you're, right just um, finding nuances uh, that you don't have time or opportunity to find when you do the scene once, shoot it, and it's done. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of fun, and and I think the things that actors love to do. I will point out, though, I guess, maybe with the philosophy of editing, perhaps you get a little bit of an analogy of that in live theater because that sort of is one aspect of what the director does during rehearsals in a way. Yeah. In that mm-hmm. editing for timing and pacing, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of where editing would happen in right. the rehearsal process to mm-hmm. some degree. Yeah, I think Tech Week is really probably when that all comes together, where that's where you're making your final tweaks, where you've got your your film is set up during the rehearsal process, and you get to Tech Week, and that's when you're making your final edits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's probably I, I mean, that's as close as you get anyway. Right, right. 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 Now, here's another major contrast, I think, between the two media. In that is the the feedback mechanism. Mm. When you're doing stage work, you have a live audience in front of you. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see in real mm-hmm. time how something is playing over. 
and it can vary from night to night, as we've discussed before. Different yeah. audience, different reaction, yeah. And, sure. and different audience, different reaction causes differences in performance because you feed off their Oh, energy. I hope it doesn't. As a director, I always discourage changes. Oh, I mean, well, it, it is not, inevitable. Yeah, it's not changes in, in the wars, but, I mean, if, if they're giving you a lot back, like a lot of, you know, it's a comedy, you're getting a lot of laughter. Well, you often, have to hold for your laughter. You have to yeah. hold for laughter, or you just maybe, okay, I, they're into it, let's go all out. And if they're not so into it, if, if you feel, if you hear snoring in the background, that it kills your energy as an mm-hmm. actor. It just does. It's a yeah. positive or negative feedback yeah. mechanism. So mm-hmm. it, they, they feed on each other. So absolutely. Uh, the nature of the audience has a, an impact on how the show overall. But you don't off. get any of that when you're no. filming no. <clears throat> at all. Uh, other than, you know, whoever might be watching the shoot. Right. Or sees like a well, You hope they're not rough reacting uh, out loud at <laughs> least. Well... It yeah. happens, I'm sure, mm. occasionally, but yeah, I mean that. So I, you know, I love watching my films back with an audience. Uh, you know, people say oh, I don't like to see myself on screen. It's not a matter of wanting to see myself on screen. It's like I want to see how people. I want to get that reaction. I yeah, want to sit yeah. in a room and you know hear people laugh at the jokes or ooh and ah at the special effects, and you know that's what we do it for. If you know, so you know, I'm happy for people to go buy our DVDs and watch them online or or what have you. But I kind of miss you know being there in the room with them and. What did you think? How are you reacting? Right. Now, we've kind of had preview audiences for many productions we've worked on. I guess you could kind of do something analogous if you wanted to have like a rough cut viewing, mm-hmm. kind of a mm. mini private screening mm-hmm. sort of a thing of a rough cut with a group of people and then get some feedback. Maybe maybe you don't envision it as 100% done at that point, but mm. done enough to try to get an idea of, are there any glaring things I should think yeah, about? Yeah, I don't think we've ever done that. No. Um, I'll, you know, Kevin will cut together rough edits and I'll review them and, you know, we'll talk about tweaks that can happen. So between ourselves, we'll have that, you know, being in in, in a team, you know, uh, environment, that's good to have that bouncing ability to bounce back and forth that way. But solo filmmakers maybe don't get that mechanism yeah, or yeah. would benefit from having a kind of preview screening that mm-hmm. you described. So. So yeah, I think there would be an advantage to that. Yeah, you kind of have your own checks and balances. Yeah, you can you can get in your own head or get very narrow yeah. focus on something. I mean, uh, Hollywood seeing. productions will do the, the oh, of preview audience and sure and yeah, test screens. endings have been yeah like, we got to reshoot the ending now absolutely yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Well, I think that covers a lot of different areas or aspects that are different between the two. So I guess I'd like to take this opportunity to kind of get your feeling for what is it about the different processes that you like more in one realm than the other? Mm-hmm. What do you dislike more in one realm mm-hmm. or the other? Yeah. Well, I think as an actor, I prefer the stage because it's more about the craft of acting and getting into a character and yeah. inhabiting a story and, and, and living and breathing it. Uh, as a storyteller, I think I prefer uh, filmmaking because I can, one, tell my own stories that I've come up with, tell it in my own way, you know, in collaboration with, with, with my you know production partners. But uh, and, and tell stories that wouldn't be feasible. Uh, we do a lot of science fiction, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of uh, fantasy and horror, and horror that just doesn't come off on stage, or, or, or at least I haven't encountered similar styles of storytelling. So you know, in the, in the ability to tell some of the more fantastical stuff that that we enjoy, you know, filmmaking for now is the only medium we really have to explore that. So pros and cons. I I will continue doing both for the rest of my life because you know. The, both have opportunities for, for different creative exploration. Very nice. So do you have a uh, <laughs> favorite child, as it were? 
as far as the film amongst well i guess it could be either or but uh, maybe <laughs> making thinking more along the lines of the film project yeah we did a science well i think i mentioned it last week um or last time the um uh, flash gordon pastiche we did it's a uh, you know in the style of the 1930s serials black mm -hmm. and white it's a low budget science fiction film you know the old flash gordon if you're not familiar with them you know they had you know model rocket ships with sparklers in the back for the mm -hmm. for the engines and and so we did that and because we have a no budget production our limitations were advantages because we could you know do the cardboard sets and do the model rockets right. and you were paying homage paying to the homage, actual but style. Because it, it, you know, it just made it more authentic yeah, <laughs> as yeah. a result. And so you know, that movie now is 11, 12 years old, and it, I think it's still the best thing we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of another film you did a little bit more recently than that called the, was it The Sinister Vines of Dr. Thorne? Yep. Did I get the name correct? That you did. Okay. And that one was done in a whole sort of 50s science fiction horror yep. pastiche. In black and white, yep. with that kind of overall look to it and style. And that was another intentional, you know, uh, our science fiction film, which I don't think I named. It's called It Came From Uranus. Um, <laughs> because we love that one and still do to, to this day, we thought, well, let's go back to that well of sorts and do another, you know, black and white, you know, low, you know, it's our, let our low budget work to the advantage. And so we kind of you know, inhabited that genre. And that's what we like to hop around different genres and, and different styles. Um, you know, over 30 years, if you do the same thing, you're going to get bored. So all of our films are wildly different in, in tone and style. And uh, yeah, we love going back to those, those old classics. Right. Now, more recently, and this is something I think Glenn can relate to a little bit, you both have a connection to, in the film world and the theater world, of stories pertaining to some uh, archetypical horror villains, specifically uh, the Dracula story and the Frankenstein story. Mm. Yeah, we just did a short film called The Frankenstein Legacy, where you know, I think it was the 200th anniversary last year of, yep. of, the, yes. of the novel, and so I thought it was a good time to kind of jump into that. So it's, it's a modern retelling where the book exists, and it's uh, a modern scientist working at a local college, uh, obsessed with the novel and wanting to actually achieve the the uh, science that was kind of laid out in, in the in the novel to hor horrific <laughs> and unintended consequences <laughs> and uh glenn directed a production yes. stage production of frankenstein oh yeah it was dracula and frankenstein which we mentioned i guess last week mm -hmm. those were both when I, I i was a fan of the the 30s movies mm -hmm. the the universal monster movies the the originals mm -hmm. And the novels themselves, before that, I was a fan of, and I kind of wanted to try and do homage to both of those. So I found scripts that matched the book, the tone of the book, as okay. opposed to the original movies really veered far yeah. from the book. Right. So I kind of tried to get the tone of the movies with the plot of the books. Mm. Sounds pretty good. It was an interesting experience to get those on stage and, and try and do that. And I mean, I, I, as I also mentioned last week, people called them both cinematic i guess so but, but of course there are kind of unique challenges to adapt the scope of that story mm -hmm. onto a stage right. as you right. steve yeah. would have probably appreciated i mm -hmm. think from your uh, experience with your own work yeah. adapting it yeah. and i think my initial interest was more in filmmaking and it just kind of happened that i got involved with with stage productions mm -hmm. uh, i had written screenplays before i got involved with 
theater, but never went anywhere with that, okay. never got anything made. So it was kind of like, okay, well, now I can actually direct things and have them happen. And mm -hmm. it just felt a lot more accessible to me than, than filmmaking did. Yeah, that, that's one thing. Filmmaking is, you have to have an independent spirit because you're, you're on your own. And mm -hmm. I mean, they're huge productions that take a lot of time and resources and energy. And you have nobody driving it but your own, <laughs> yeah. you know, determination. Yeah. You know, community theater, it's a community. and There's you, an infrastructure. You have an infrastructure yeah. and pe like-minded people who, you know, have already, you know, committed to pull together to, to put these things on. So that's another thing I love, too, is about community theater is that that community exists. And uh, it's been a great way to find new talent for our films because people who enjoy stage acting enjoy film acting and you know our recent productions have been entirely populated by people we've met and worked with uh, on the stage yeah i haven't really been involved in filmmaking myself just kind of sticking to stage work i mean i do find it kind of fascinating and interesting yeah but the stage the opportunities for stage are just a little bit more readily available mm -hmm. or have been mm -hmm. thanks to community theater that's yes. right <laughs> I guess that kind of ties things up. I think so. Yeah. In a neat little bow. Well, thank you, Steve. We appreciate you taking the time with us the last two episodes. My pleasure. I think as far as this episode goes, uh, that's a wrap for today. I think it is. Uh, if you did enjoy listening to Steve as well as listening to me and Jim, you can always give us some feedback at podcast at backstage.link. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 267 225-8869 again that number is 267-225-8869 and we're also all over the internet but we won't get into that now <laughs> we'll talk to you next week on another mystery episode we don't know what order we're airing these we may have recorded it already or we may be about to record it who knows and until we do that I'm Glenn and I'm Jim and thank you for joining us backstage so long Start. Yeah, I, I, I was waiting for you. And <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> These people mowing their lawns on a sunny Sunday afternoon. What nerve. How dare they. Don't they know we have more important things going on in here? <laughs> <laughs> this, Steve, is uh, Studio 2. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. Studio 1 is the upstairs bedroom, but it's a little bit cramped for more than just Glenn and myself recording up there. Plus, sure. it gets during the summer, we don't have central air in the house, so it gets kind of hot uh, up there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I digress, which is All pretty right. much what we do. <laughs> In a world. In a world. Gadget. <laughs>